0: again because it's who we are we have been created to know that good king and that great queen and we've been created to experience the depth and richness of love that's unconditional and unfettered and we have been created to dream and believe that our destinies and our inheritance are far greater than what we can create or perform in our own lives it's, it's embedded within us. We long for that story. It's why those stories make all the money in Hollywood. And the ones that are cynical and depressing and don't have a good ending, we go, why did I go pay $10 for that? I felt slimed. I, it's because we long for that. And why we long for that is because that's the redemption story that's in the gospel. It's what Christ has afforded to us and what He's called us to. So look with me as we continue to uh, look at Galatians. Look with me at Galatians 3. We're going to start in verse 26, and we're going to, to, to read all the way through to verse 7 of chapter 4. I'll give you a second to find your Bibles I am, and or to pull up your Bible app. I used to say, hey, don't come to church without your Bibles. Don't depend on me to tell you the truth. I might, I'm, I might throw in a verse here and there that are not in the Bible. You've got to be careful and stay on your toes. I really mean that more to say, I, I don't want you just to be a Sunday Christian who looks on, looks at Scripture on a screen and has no, no context or has no relationship with the living Word of God. I love it when I see well-worn worn Bibles or smudgy phone screens that have been used studying and living in the Word of God. Okay, so Galatians 3, verse 26 through 47. For you are all children... I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, by the way. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus... And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's writing to the church here. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Think of it this way. If a father dies, leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that He could adopt us as His very own children. And because we are His children, God has sent Him, the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, "Abba, Father." Now, you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are His child, God has made you His heir. That's the theme for today. That's the that's the central um, verse in this passage of Scripture that we are reading. Kind of the conclusion, or at least the. Uh, a conclusion of the arguments that Paul has been making. He's making this argument throughout this letter that you are no longer slaves. And why he's so upset, as I said earlier, is because they were enslaving themselves again. They were putting themselves back into slavery by adding religious works in, 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 in acts of religious fervor to their, their accomplishments in their own heart and minds of appeasing God and being made right with God. We are never made right by our works or actions. We are made right by the work of Christ on the cross. And so Paul is saying, you are no longer slaves, but you are children of God and heirs of and heirs, inheritors, of all of who God is and what He possesses. Let's let that sink in. I want it to sink in because I want you to hear that. And for the rest of this message, I want you to line up that truth with what your experience is in your life. And not only your experience, but what do you believe right now? What do you believe about the truth that I just read? And let me read it again. And you read it in your own Bible, in your own translation. Now, and put your name in it. Now, Sean. Sean. Paul's shouting to me. Sean, you are no longer a slave. But you are God's own child. And since you are His child, Sean, God has made you His heir. No longer slaves. In verse 3 it says we were slaves to what? To basic spiritual principles. It says in verse 5 that Jesus was sent to buy freedom for us from from being slaves to the law. And that we are now no longer slaves in verse 7. Paul is addressing a few things here. He's he's addressing uh, two parallel thoughts. That in the literal context of his culture and society, we have um, a Jewish people who have had the word, they've had the relationship with God for for thousands of years, and they have been um, walking under the truth that they are heirs of the promise that God gave Abraham that they would be children of God and possess the land and be a people set apart for His glory. And now Paul, having met Christ as a Jewish, a Jewish man, now a, a believer in Christ with a Jewish background, received a call from God to not, to not just preach to Jews, because wherever he went there were Jewish people that were in the context of his preaching, but God had given him a call to preach to the Gentiles this same message, that they were a part of the promise of Abraham. That it wasn't just for the Jews, it was also for the Gentiles. Romans 16 talks about this, this um, faith that we have in Christ, and it's not just for the Jew, Paul says, but it is also for the for the Gentile. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentiles. And so he's writing, saying that this promise that we have in Christ is for all of us, for Jews and Gentiles. And that our slavery, our slavery is found in us not being able to keep the law, the law of right and wrong, of performing and doing what is right. We can't do it. We, none of us in the room, no matter how good or wonderful we feel about ourselves, or no matter what great track record we had over the last week or the last month, all of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us sin. And we can't keep up with the demands or the requirements of the law. We cannot perform them. And therefore, we are enslaved to that, that process that we can't perform well enough under and the, the enslavement of the sins that are attached to the things that we can't get free from. We need a Savior. We need a victor. We need a deliverer. Thus enters Christ. And he's saying that we, Jews, and we, Gentiles, and our own religious uh, worship and our own set of rules and circumstances, those spiritual principles of the world, we are defeated unless we find a deliverer. And that's the way it was for us before Christ came. Now, when we look at chapter 4, and we see this imagery of this, this uh, guardianship, we understand some things about the culture of the time. That the household codes, the Roman law, um, prescribed that minor children um, were subordinated um, in, in a place of subordination very similar to slaves. Um, indentured servants. It would be a, more, a better way of, of, of talking about slavery in that context. They didn't have rights. They... Um, Uh, had to do uh, whatever their guardian or parent told them to do. Um, They didn't have power. Um, They were at the disposal and the whim of their guardians. Only after a child or a minor left home did he achieve freedom and inheritance. The guardian, if in this context, if a father dies, the guardian is oftentimes chosen, is chosen by the father in his will, and or if he did not have a designation for the child in his will, then the nearest of kin, very similar to today, would take possession or guardianship of that child. Sometimes the managers or trustees or stewards of these children were actually freedmen or slaves themselves that were entrusted to care for the children. And the children, again, I want to say this, did not receive their inheritance until they came of age. So, the readers are are, are understanding the imagery that Paul is talking about here. And he transitions this illustration to verse 3. And that's the way it was with us. We were under guardianship. We were in that place. Just like this illustration shows us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. What are the basic spiritual principles of this world? As, as theologians uh, uh, try to understand or unpack that phrase, there's multiple thoughts. Uh, there's thoughts that he could be alluding to, the, the laws both in uh, Jewish faith but also in uh Different forms of worship in the in the Gentile um, belief system, the Roman and the Greek system of, of faith. It also could be uh, the the sins or the the strongholds that are uh, that we are engaged in or that we are uh, in, in bondage to uh, in in our life. And so, let's look at some ways in which Paul describes uh, slavery. Uh, in his letters uh, in the New Testament. In First Corinthians 6, he, he talks about uh, this, this sinful bondage. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols, who commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice, practice homosexuality, or are thieves, greedy people, drunkards who are abusive, who cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And here you're going to notice a phrase that's very similar to what we just read in Galatians. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Titus 3 um, says it in this way, Once in in Titus 3.3, once we, here again that once we were, too foolish, we were foolish and disobedient we were misled and became slaves. What did we become slaves to to many lusts and pleasures Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. What are other images or what's other imagery that Paul describes for slavery and in Romans 8 he says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you, here's the adjective, fearful slaves. So one of the places that we experience slavery is fear. And ultimately, we can define slavery in a general sense um, when we look at 2 Peter 2.19. When he says, for you are, Peter says, for you are a slave to what? To whatever controls you which is an interesting um, shift in in, in the the concept of slavery because we also see Paul oftentimes equate a good and a bad kind of slavery. We can be slaves to all these things that I just described, or we can be slaves to what? To righteousness. We can be slaves to God. We can be slaves to the things that, and it sounds contradictory because we have such a negative concept as we should of slavery, but using that imagery, if we want to, if, if we are going to be um, given to or under the control of something, what do we want to be under the control of? We want to be under the control of God. And the control of God brings liberation, freedom, deliverance, inheritance, goodness. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. So, when left to ourselves, we claw, we scratch to make it, and every one of us seems to be thinking about and or living for ourselves. Is that true? Don't be looking at your neighbor and say, yeah, that is true about you. I'm so glad he defined how you live, because I've been wanting to tell you that you're a selfish, no good, living for yourself human being. Now, me, on the other hand, keep on preaching, Pastor. I haven't Left to ourselves. Left to myself, I will be looking out for myself. And that's not necessarily bad all the time. We need to take care of ourselves. But the nature of Christ is not for the end result of our life, to accumulate stuff for ourselves, to accumulate more better experiences for ourselves. But the nature of Christ actually compels us to love each other. It's eleven o'clock. Uh, let's go ahead and pray. So, 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 something is happening, Lord. What else would you like to say? I always wonder what God sounded like. That is a little bit different than what I sounded, thought He would sound like. But I, I, I receive it, Lord. Just want you to know that my son is on the soundboard, and he will pay for that later. <laughs> all right, God just wanted to lighten up the atmosphere. Now back to our sin. <laughs> I just couldn't wrap it up. <laughs> ah, all right, maybe I'm okay. Here we go. When I was praying this morning, I was thinking, Lord, what does it look like? We have got two different imageries here images here, and and Paul weds them in this concept of a guardian and a minor who who lives in a slave-like condition. So we got what does it look like for us to live as orphans? Sometimes when we're praying, we'll we'll pray about an orphan spirit. What does it look like for us to walk through life, where we are living as ones who are orphans and not as ones who have been adopted. And so we just defined some of that. We live in fear. We have an orphan um, lives with the thought that they are not level. Nobody truly loves me. An orphan lives without hope because when they look back, their life is hopeless. And when they look forward as an orphan, they don't see any change to the trajectory of their life. Surely I was born without hope. Surely I have been born unlovable. Surely I have been born to live with daily fear because I'm the only one who's taking care of myself. Nobody else is looking after me. And to add to that imagery, slavery and I am captive to the forces around me. I cannot be delivered from the things that curse me, the things that hold me down, my addictions, my patterns, my relationships that are broken and strewn out behind me. This is an orphan spirit, and it's not the promise of God. As we were singing in Aaron, thank you as you exhorted us God is a God of promises, and his promises, we sang our yes and amen. His promises are promises not to leave us alone and isolated and unloved and uh, in bondage, but our promises, his promises, look very different than that. I'm about to talk about that, but before we get there, where are you on the orphan meter As we hit on those topics, those descriptions, where are you as we compare ourselves so we are no longer slaves, but children of God who are heirs of His promise? Where are you? Are you an orphan? Or are you adopted? Now in Christ, God's own child. Well, let's move over. Let's move over to the good news now. Now in Christ, God's own child. Child, read that again. And since uh, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. Wow! Let it sink in. You're not Sean's child. Those of you are going like, praise the Lord. You're not Steve's child. You're not Shosh's child. You're not, and all these are wonderful people. So we can say, wow, that would be great. I'd love to be Shosh's child. I'd love to be Steve's child. That's great stuff. That's awesome. And however awesome that is, exponentialize it. I made up that word. A hundred times. Supersize it. Order the extra fries. God is so much greater than our best illustration of a good mother or father. Take that which you see and have experienced and multiply it by whatever. And you haven't multiplied it by enough. That's how good God is. Do you believe it? When the right time came, How did we become God's children? Verse 4. When the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. And we can fill in, as we know Scripture, because Paul doesn't conclude the argument there. He's already been talking about in Galatians and all of his other letters. Subject to the law, yet the only one who has ever lived and who will ever live who could fulfill the law. Perfect. Subjected to the law, where we fail, he succeeded. Subjected to the law in that when we, in our lawlessness and inability to be good people, he died for us. So that, read on, he could buy our freedom, and so he could adopt us as his sons and God sent his son so that they could redeem and adopt us. The Greek word for redemption there is is exagorazo. It's a legal term, and it means to buy out, to fully pay the debt, to completely eliminate any debt. I want you to think about that for instance, for a second. Think about sitting in a jail cell. Think about sitting in front of a banker who you owe a lot of money to. Whatever your bad case scenario is where you have a lot of debt or you're in a really, really hard place. So let's go to the jail cell. That'll make it easier. And there you are sitting in the jail cell, and you are there, le- you're, you rightfully are there. You have done the crime, you know you're guilty. It's over, you're condemned, and it's rightful that you're condemned. And in walks a man and says, Is there, and I'm going to put my name in it because I'm the preacher, I get to put my name in it. Is there a Sean Richmond in the house? And I'm in the jail sitting down lonely, whatever despairing thought I'm experiencing at the time, and I hear my name. Maybe you haven't heard my name in a long time. And I hear my name and I perk up, and he says, Is there a Sean Richmond in this cell? And I'm like, He's talking about me. And he looks at the warden and he says, What would it cost to get Sean out of jail? And I hear that. What would it cost? I don't know what it would cost, but it would be a lot. There's no way to get me out because I'm guilty. The laws have already said it, and I'm serving my time. And the person says, I am willing, and he says it within my hearing, I am willing to do whatever it takes to redeem Sean Richmond from that cell. And I'm thinking, but you don't know what I've done. You can't do that. It's impossible. It doesn't fit within the legal system. There is no way to get me out ahead of time. And yet this man, whatever he does, has the power to set me free. And here comes the warden, jingling his keys. And he comes and he glares at me because he doesn't like what's going on. He puts the key in the lock, opens the door, and sets me free. And I sheepishly, sheepishly look at the door look at the man and walk out and expect to be thrown back in and I'm not thrown back in and then I look at the warden and I go no I'm just kidding <laughs> and I walk out and I'm free I'm looking at Michael because that was his story right here on the front corner that was the story as he, he saw that image portrayed in a in a little clip on the gospel, and he said, I'm that man, and God has opened the door to set me free. You've been redeemed, and not only have you been redeemed, but that man doesn't just let me out, and I don't just shake his hand and say thank you. But he says, Guess what? I not only got you out of jail, you're coming to my house for dinner. So hop in the car. We hop in a really nice car. And we go to a really nice house. And he lavishes a wonderful meal on me. And it's fun. It's exciting. And there's a relationship. And I'm feeling free. And it's wonderful. And at the end of the meal, I say, thank you. I don't even know what to say. I'm not going to be able to speak for a month. I don't, I'm not, I don't even get it. I don't even understand what's happened to me. And, he sa- and I say, but uh, thank you. And I'm thinking, now where am I going? i got to go get a hotel or go find some relative or something. And he says, hey, by the way, you're staying. I'm what? Yeah, you're staying. I've got a room for you. You're part of my family now. Are we getting it? God's not in the business of just not condemning us as our sins deserve, but He wants to liberate us. And He's not just about liberating us, but He's inviting us into family. And He's not just about, about inviting us into family, but He's saying, I want you to be in my family, and not just for a period of time, but forever. Forever. Redeemed and adopted. Jesus replied, John 8, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin, A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son, a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, what are you? Free indeed. Truly free. No more debts. Nobody can come hunt you down. No police officer sitting around the corner. Nobody reminding you of where you've come from and how you don't deserve it. Nobody reminding you even today of how you have failed and lived short of God's glory because when God looks at me, and and I say this because I'm a sinner, when He looks at me and you, He sees the love of Christ covering us. And He sees the beautiful picture of His redemption in our life. And He loves us in spite of ourselves. I can't mess it up. Praise the Lord. And I can't mess it up. And I can't mess it up for you either. God is faithful to His promises. We are sons and daughters of a good Father. We have been adopted so that the fruit of adoption is exactly the difference between what the fruit of slavery is or, orphan, or being an orphan. We now have, no longer have no fear. We are loved. And we have hope. In Christ, So you have not received, very similar to what we just read in Galatians, Romans 8.15, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. That Abba could be translated Papa, Daddy, Dada, different ways that my kids call me affectionately an intimate name that's how we respond to our father and how are we able to respond that way this is really important we are able to say Papa we are able to say Daddy when we have received papa's love orphans can't do that it's so hard i've got friends who have adopted and the the journey of adoption is a is a slow journey because it's really hard to break free from what they have experienced or known into something that is so counter to what they've experienced and the moment of breakthrough oftentimes for adoptive parents is when that son or daughter not only can say, but with feeling and emotion say, I love you, mommy. I love you, daddy. Because they have, in a sense, received that love from those who've adopted them. Can you call your daddy, papa? Papa you know this good, good father. The worship team, come on up and let's, let's respond here. One of my favorite um favorite illustrations of the heart of the Father for us, and it's especially significant for me because I have a daughter named Annie. But I love Annie the musical in Daddy Warbucks and his staff when they, at that crowning moment in the musical, welcome Annie into the home And they go into that beautiful theatrical presentation of, we got Annie. We got Annie. We've got Annie. And they go on and they sing and they dance and they slide down banisters and they fly from curtain rods and they they do all kinds of things to to communicate one glorious truth to this little girl that had been under the guardianship of a really cruel taskmaster. You no longer are living in that orphanage, Annie. You are living in our house. And you get all of this, but the most important thing that you get... Is celebration and love that comes from us. We're excited that you're a part of our family. We get you. See, that's the thing I want to end with this morning is that God is not sitting up in heaven as a father, healing you and delivering you and redeeming you and adopting you if you would put your trust and faith in Him. And there's an interaction that happens. We don't have to do anything but trust. But if we don't trust, we don't receive. If we don't have faith, we don't receive the promise. If we don't believe that God is good, we don't receive the goodness of God. But He's offering it if we will receive. And He's offering it not because He is um, feeling sorry for us. Although He does have sympathy in His heart. But the motivation of the Father is He really loves you. He really likes you. He's really excited that you want to spend eternity with Him. And He's excited about getting your room ready. He's excited about the things that you love so that He can open up the palette of His his kingdom to you. He's excited about you. Can you put your name in God's mouth and hear Him say, We got John. We got Tim. We got Sarah. We got Steve. Woo! We got them. We redeemed them. They're adopted. They're in my family. That's heaven. It says that when one person is saved, that, that enters into the kingdom, it says in Scripture that there's a party that goes on and angels are celebrating and there's excitement, just like in the Annie musical. Tip is probably a much better place in Daddy Warbuck's house. So if you can receive that, then you can be set free from everything that accompanies an orphan. Because that's the promise of God. Would you stand